This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. Today's class is entitled God Hates Religion. It's part of a large curriculum of classes. I don't know how many of them I will do, but uh, we'll at least get started. And uh, please, if you're watching this on Facebook, please hit share and send it out there because uh, they're just going to break me, you know, because they, to get anything out on Facebook, once you daily feed, they, they actually make sure nothing gets out if you don't pay for boosts. So I do get phone calls of people to join my club. I do have a club. It's anywhere between 10 to to $100 a month. Um, where you're in the Got Your Back Club, which is all my social media, so I can hire people to handle my social media. Because so, uh, it's enough. Like, we're at the end of days. Things are getting hot out there. It's getting rough. And I believe that uh, I believe that the things I'm saying from the feedback I'm getting, it needs to get out there more. And so I'm not optimized as much as I should be in social media. And so keeping people working for me we have this club called the Gotcha Back Club, and they, we earmark the money for that. Right now it's going to PayPal, but it, we're going to get rid of that. And No offense to PayPal, but, uh, but we're going to be creating a nonprofit so that uh, people can actually get tax deductions and, and uh, et cetera, that kind of thing. So feel free to join the Gotcha Back Club, and it's a nice club to be part of. Yeah, it's not a it's not a website at this point, but it's uh, yeah, it's just PayPal. You, you create a recurring payment on PayPal under uh, yglazer at h dot com. Y Glazer G L A S E R. That's what you need for online. It's why, but aren't you all writing this? Why? Because ten bucks a month's too much. Ten bucks a month's too much. Y Glazer at h dot com. I tell you, I, I have 10 bucks a month going to so many different things and plus much more than 10 bucks a month for certain things. Because I, I give all the front horses as much possible help as possible. And I'm also, I'm also on all over the web for helping other people's causes because I, I put my money where my mouth is. And so anyway, so that's, uh, that's where it's at. So anyway, it's on PayPal. It's uh, yglazerh.com, G-L-A-S-E-R. Aish is A-I-S-H. Okay, today we're doing God Hates Religion. And, and the deal's like this. Imagine that you have a Facebook account. And you're really into Facebook. And you're, or an Instagram account. And you're really into Instagram. Or uh, what's that other one called? Snapchat. What? Snapchat. Snapchat. And you're really into it. And one day you get to your account. You know, you wake up in the morning. Which, of course, most people wake up like this these days. <laughs> So you wake up in the morning, and because your phone's already in your hands, and and they they have a new halacha that you're allowed to wash negelvasser after that message. Just kidding. So anyway, the you you get your account, and there it is, but you're not really able to post, and instead someone else is madly posting, wildly posting, and they're posting all kinds of crazy stuff as you. Yeah, imagine you get your social media account and you've had, you've had uh, what's called identity theft, but this is cyberspace identity theft. This is the kind where, where someone's posting all kinds of stuff about you. 
And somehow they got a hold of like your pictures online that you'd never post. And they're getting posted as well with strange stories behind them that didn't happen. And, you know, it's just going on and on. I mean, you've, you're, you're in the middle of full, like, identity theft, character assassination. You can't get it in there. They've got all your codes. They've changed all your passwords. And they've, uh, and they've also, like, they've already let them know that there's going to be someone pretending they're you who's going to be phoning them. And so there's just no way out of this. And it's just going on. It's already been weeks. You're starting to hire people or like high tech people to like somehow hack in there. And they just keep saying, I don't know who this person is, but they're better than I am. Can't get in. So, so now you know why God hates religion. Because God's identity has been hacked. It's been hijacked. And, and you who are my dear students who come to my classes, you all know who God is, obviously, or what God is. And what is God? Excellent. What is God? Excellent. He's everything, but he's also nothing. And we have no, we have no idea who he is whatsoever. We don't know who he is because obviously before there was a world, there was nothing. Before creation, there was nothing. And, and that nothing, obviously, is whatever made the creation. So, therefore, whatever made creation is nothing. And, and your brain, you can't even think about nothing. Like, you're not, you can't get near nothing. Like, you probably think there's, a, there's nothing in my hand, for example. Is there nothing in my hand? No, it's, it's full of air. My, you can't even think about nothing. But, the, uh, but anyway, God is absolutely nothing. We know, n- and we know nothing about God. Nothing. But what happens is, religions, they decide who God is. Religions create God in their image. And whatever, they, whatever works for them, you like that? Religion creates God in their image. Whatever works for them, they, they do. They generally um, do what's called uh, manipulation in a big way. They manipulate their constituents. How do you manipulate a person? You play on their fears. You play on their fears. Tell me, what's the number one fear of humanity? Death. Death. Number one fear of humanity is death. If you if you're going for if you're going to buy something and the salesperson's like starting to get manipulative, are you going to hang out in that store much longer? No. When someone's selling something, they're being manipulative, you just run for your life. I mean, that's just weird. Awkward, like getting manipulated by a salesperson. Um, so obviously, if you're in sales, you're manipulating. So how are you supposed to deal with that? Because if you get caught manipulating in sales, you're in trouble. But your whole job as a salesperson is to help a person perceive value, which means you've got to manipulate the way that person thinks about a product in such a way that they purchase it, which means you better be either very subtle or extremely fair in the way you manipulate people. But one thing for sure is you can't play with people's deepest fears because that's just outright manipulative. Well, if the number one fear of humanity is death, and death is the number one thing on the lips of religion, because they can't stop thinking, talking about people's endgame and what's going to happen to you, which, of course, they're totally making up because you'd have to die to prove them wrong. And that ain't fun. <laughs> hate to die to have to prove someone wrong. 
So you have to die to prove them wrong, and it's all about it's all about your end game after you after your life. So you're completely manipulating people about their death and what might be over there, and therefore my version of God is the version. And hence, God's dealing with serious identity theft by the world's religions. Now, it just so happens that Judaism is not a religion, and that's why around the Jewish circles, at least those who are not religious, like myself, you'll never hear the word religious going on. We don't say the word religion, we don't say the word religious we do use which words? From observant. observant. Yeah. Shomer mitzvah, personally observant. So the number one best word to use about keeping Torah probably is observant, meaning you're actually observing the tribal tradition. And amazingly, and super humbly, Judaism never purports to know who God is. And the more you look into our Kabbalistic books, the more you discover that they really don't say who God is. They, they really, the deeper you go into these Kabbalistic works, which are about God, you find out that we know nothing. We really don't know anything about God. We know a ton about creation, meaning how God did whatever he did. That we know a lot about because we have a long, intense Kabbalistic tradition about that. But who God is? No clue. We don't know who God is. And therefore, we are. it's a very humble position that we come from. And, that, and you'll notice something else bizarre is that if you're going to be tricking people into thinking God is something that he's not and holding the next world over his head, so you can, you have to either ask very little of them, of the people, because you're making this all up. So you got, you got to hope they don't ask too many questions. Now, one of the ways that you deal with that is by having as little resistance as possible, which means you want to make your religion as simple as possible. And not only do you want to make your religion as simple as possible, if you do increase, and here's the not-so-nice part, if you increase difficulty, you have to increase enforcement. Meaning you have to break up machetes. You have to give, there has to be some kind of violence going on. One of the reasons that, uh, one of the reasons, now obviously Christianity has had its horribly, uh, horribly violent times, but horribly, like full-on, you know, the word Black Friday. I say Black Friday? <laughs> it's kind of funny they mention, they call it Black Friday. What was I trying to say? Black Sabbath. The reason why it was called Black, the, there's a term Black Sabbath, was because three towns of Jews that lived along the Rhine River in Central Europe, they, um, these were the towns of the greatest scholars in all of the Jewish world. The town of Spire, like anyone named Spiro or Shapiro, they're all from Spire. Um, the town of, of Worms and the town of Mainz. These three towns were the pinnacle of like holiness of the Jewish people in exile. They were like, these were like 
If you want to meet what a second temple Jew was like, you could actually go to these towns for almost a thousand years. You could go to these towns and meet what a second temple Jew was like with all the Torah of the second temple, period. That, meaning all the lessons and all the, all the oral law was still being kept. They were really high-level towns. And they also, they also had the original prayer, you know, really the original prayers that were, that were redacted for exile. They had like the most original version of all those. On one Sabbath, the Christians came through and killed every man, woman, and child. No Jew was left alive in those three towns in one Shabbat, one Shabbos. And it got named Black Sabbath. Yeah, it was Crusaders. Yeah, it wasn't a great idea, but he didn't know what he was doing. Is Ozzy Osbourne Jewish? He's probably Jewish. He didn't know what he was doing. He's just. Anyway, the um, anyway, so that's where the term Black Sabbath comes from, and it actually that Sabbath is celebrated uh, once a year. And and I had guests over. Have you heard of a rabbi named Rabbi Aaron Neckemeyer? So they're, he keeps full German traditions because he's from a German family. I mean, listen to the name Neckemeyer. You know, it's like next to Oscar Meyer. And it's, it's a German name. It's from a German family. And they came over to my house once for Shabbos and they were not wearing Shabbos clothes. And I was like, aren't, aren't you guys going to change? Shabbos. They're like, no, no, we don't change this Shabbos because German Jews wear weekday clothes to commemorate this Shabbos of when the Jews were killed. He happened to be at my house on Black Sabbath. I, I forget what Shabbos that is during the year. Um, someone could Google it. What day is Black Sabbath? But, um, now, imagine God has his chosen people, his treasured nation, that experienced prophecy on Mount Sinai. And, and, and then religions can't deal with us because, I mean, they can't deal with any tribes. The Crusaders, we, we weren't their only enemy. Any tribe they found, wherever they, whatever country they imperialized as they mowed through, whether they mowed through with Rome or whether they mowed through with Spain or whether they mowed, whoever they were with at the time, mowing through, they would always take the indigenous culture and destroy them. Usually through venereal diseases, but uh, but also through just pure war tactics, and uh, and a lot of these people, a lot of these crusaders are uh, are thought of fairly highly in history, but uh, but we do not think highly of them as Jews, nor do any of the tribes in the world that were that were destroyed by their by their crusades. Now. His wife's Jewish. Yeah. Thank you for that piece of information. Did they say which day is Black Sabbath? It's something about witchcraft. Doesn't. I uh, didn't find it. Yeah. Uh, um, someone, you could Google the uh, the um, you Google uh, spire. The uh, massacre of Jews, oh, massacre of Jews, Black Sabbath, maybe. Okay.
So, so God's not so excited about religion. Now, let's go, let's go into modern times. So here's something I, I've been working on a little bit. I'd like to share it with you. And you tell me what you think. The Western society, their, the theology of, of modern Western culture, uh, which is the Christian culture, the Western modern society, what was it? 11th of July, 1942. What? No, that's not That probably was a specific thing. Anyway, the um, Western, Western Christian theology for an atheist intellectual like Sam Harris, for example, for an atheist or Richard Dawkins or any of these people, uh, who's the physicist that died? Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking. For Western intellectual atheists, It's an insult. The, the theology is an insult to, your, to our intellect. Meaning Western Christian theology is an insult to our intellect. But the, the actual intellectual atheists, who are quite brilliant, are, when they poke holes in it, which is the simplest thing to do in the world, it's not exactly a... It's not exactly a, um, how do we say, uh, compliment to them that they can poke holes in something silly. You understand? If you're really brilliant and you're and you're and now you're walking around like, like you know, patting yourself on the back for poking holes in something that's idiotic, like what are you so proud of? You understand? But these guys walk around and they're on YouTube and they're they're like they're like. Some they themselves are kind of like religious figures in a way. The the intellectual atheists. Have you raise your hand? Have you ever watched any of these intellectual atheists on YouTube? You guys have seen them. So they're walking around all excited that they were able to like poke holes. But you got to understand. Listen carefully what I'm saying. These guys are the the intellectual atheists are the high priests of secular culture. They're the high priests of secular culture because the average secular culture don't feel intellectually fortified to to explain their their lifestyle. But as long as there's a Sam Harris, and as long as there's a Richard Dawkins, and as long as there's a Stephen Hawking, as long as there's these guys out there, so now I'm somehow absolved of my guilt for my secular behavior. You understand? But the funny thing is, is, these great intellectuals, if they're really so great, they shouldn't be that excited about poking holes in stuff that, that, that's silly. I mean, I don't think there's a person in this room, and I, I'm sure you're all intelligent people, but I'm, I don't think there's a person in this room who couldn't destroy most religious theology. If not all religious. I mean, I know some of you in this room pretty well already. The, uh, you could probably take down every single theology in a matter of minutes. Almost all of you in this room. So, but meanwhile, these are like intellectual elites who have become the priesthood of the secular world over their, over their you know, modern religion takedown of Christianity, Islam, and Mormonism, and all these other things. I mean, they're just... 
patting themselves on the back. And you know, I, I see I see people like Sam Harrison like a robe as the high priest of the secular community. But here's the sad thing: is that I, I recently got um, I recently was sent by uh, a friend of mine who's a secular Israeli who sent me a post. He sent me a video of a particularly brilliant intellectual. I mean, a really brilliant guy. I wish I knew his name. He's in England. Uh, Tim something or other. He's a musician. He's like a really, really good musician. And he had like a full orchestra. I was a, oh, wish I knew his last name. Anyway, the guy's quite brilliant. He looks completely nuts. I mean, the guy looks psycho. But he... Um, Is he the guy who wrote Matilda? Maybe. What's, you know the last name? No, but he's crazy. Can you look up the last name? You see, he plays... He, it could be at a giant orchestra with him. And he looks totally nuts. <coughs> he had, like, eye makeup on and, like... Yeah, what's his last name? Look it up for me. Anyway, but the guy's particularly brilliant. And does, like, this impromptu song that's just destroying... Destroying <coughs> the Christian version of God. But here's the thing. A Jew from Haifa is using this theology. Sorry, a Jew from Haifa is using this intellectual as the basis why this Jew doesn't keep Torah. Is that yeah, that guy's a crazy guy. Tim what? Minchin. Minchin. You've heard of him? <coughs> he's, he's brilliant. And the guy's a genius. I he's not Jewish. He's not even close to Jewish. Yeah, exactly. There are, are brilliant people who aren't Jewish, you know. How do you say his last name again? I think his name's Minchin. 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 Anyway, really, really funny stuff. So, <laughs> anyway, the. Um, but. A Jew can't. A Jew can't have intellectuals poking holes in in infantile theologies and suddenly feel okay about not keeping Shabbos. You understand how that works? Does that make sense to you all? Did you get that? Everyone understood that. Now, what would happen if you took? Minchin, what was his first name again? Tim. Tim Minchin. And you put him in front of the Vilna Gone. <laughs> what if you took Sam Harris and put him in front of the Vilna Gone and let them actually chat for an hour? Not that they would, not that the Vilna Gone would take time away from Torah to study to do that, but just theoretically. You know, it's more likely that we could get to the Vilna Gone in, through time travel technology then the villain Gone would actually give an hour from his Torah study to talk to a guy named Tim Minchin. <laughs> That's more likely we could get to the villain Gone than, than uh, through time travel. But if somehow we could interrupt the Rambam or Tim or uh, Vilna Gone or uh, we could just take like a few minutes off the time of Rabbi Akiva Eger or the Ram or uh, the Ramban or or if we could just get some of the Bali Tosfos to talk for an hour or. Or we could just get a Rebbe Mayer, or Rebbe Akiva, or Rebbe Shimon, or Rebbe Ishmael, or, or uh, 
or uh, Rav or Rabba or uh, Rapapa or, or uh, you know, should I just keep going? <laughs> because the list just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And, and uh, first of all, first of all, whoever would be having this discussion with the rabbi would be so out of his depth that there wouldn't even be like common language for at least a year of engagement before they could get to the common language because you cannot have an argument that is even a little bit of like intellectual wholeness or standard without common ground. You got to have common terms. You got to you got to have common ground a little bit to start talking. So that would take a year to develop that. Then they could start talking about perhaps Jewish theology. Maybe. And this is all given that the guy truly is a genius who's the, the, the secular apologetic. I like my silence. That's definitely. So the question is, where are we all from? Like, where did we, how did we get here? From a plane, probably. <laughs> <laughs> how do we, we all, how did us Jews get here? Welcome, ladies. Thank you. We have seats for each of you. Thank you. One there and two here. I, I like, you want to move them? Not a good idea in the middle of a class. Not a good idea right now. Yeah, just jump in. Jumping on in. Is it cold out? Sometimes. Old City gets its own bone chill and stone thing. It's really quite fascinating that this world that we've inherited called Judaism is we're at our meaning what what I can articulate and I know a lot of you come to my classes because of the way I articulate things what I articulate in Judaism which today is like my least articulate day ever in fact I just did 30 seconds silence that's not very articulate my ability to articulate Torah or Judaism is I don't know what the right number would be but I guess it would be one one thousandth maybe of my teacher who is this you know the Kabbalist I go to on Thursday nights he's articulate although I don't think anyone in this room would understand a word he's saying the English English but it's but it's, uh, I mean, if you call that English. I mean, can you imagine sitting in a class, it's like a six-hour class, Thursday nights till dawn. 
and no one in this room would understand a word of it. And the only reason I know that is because I don't. <laughs> Which makes me really wonder what I'm sitting there for. But, but I just feel like something's going to go in someday. You know, I'm with him now 24 years. And, uh, but a lot's, a lot's gone in, obviously, after 24 years. His ability to articulate what his Rebbe taught is about a thousandth of what his teacher taught him, whose name was Shlomo Tversky of Denver, Colorado. What he was doing in Denver, Colorado, where there were barely even 10 Jews, you know, keeping Shabbat in those days, was a bit of a mystery, what this great Rebbe was doing in Denver, Colorado. Oh, because they were slaughtering beef and chicken. Oh, that makes sense. Nice, nice. Okay. Really? 25,000 Jews? Were you in Denver in those days? I was in Denver 20 years ago. Yeah, 20 years ago. Yeah, his son. Anyway, the, um, the further back you go, the more intense it gets. The further back you go, and I only got to someone who was alive when I was born. And, but when you go to his Rebbe, and then to his Rebbe, we're talking about people who could articulate such intense, complex secrets of creation that they themselves earned the ability of clairvoyance through it. They themselves had earned clairvoyance through it. And you can hear story after stories of these amazing stories and even meet the people who were born from some of the clairvoyant things that happened that led to a marriage that you can actually meet people in the flesh today. I met, I just, Sunday, I was uh, at a yurt side. Uh, someone made a, uh, you know, a l'chaim Sunday. And he was in the flesh, the, the product of a clairvoyant Rebbe's, who, Rebbe who who had touched his grandfather in a certain way that led to certain things that ultimately led to his father being born and him being born. So, like, we got in the flesh magical, mystical people who lived not so long ago. But as you go really far back, you have the people who can articulate it like nobody else. And that is... That is just the children of Israel, who, the ancient Hebrews who lived in Israel. They lived here, where we are. Now, I just want you to think who was surrounding them at the time. Who was around them? Who was around them were, first of all, literacy. What do you think the world literacy was like back then? 23%. Then? Two or three, it was 2 or 3% like... I think 200 years ago in Europe. 0.1%. What? 0.1%. Maybe 0.1%. I don't know. It was, it was next to zero literacy. And here you have the Jewish nation that's not just literate, but massively articulate about the nature of reality such that the greatest intellectual today who stands on the shoulders of giants of the Industrial Revolution, the Enlightenment movement, 
and all the work that's been done in the evolution of philosophy, psychology, etc., the ones standing on the shoulders of giants like Sam Harris, for example, who, who couldn't even have a conversation with my Rebbe and understand what the hell he's talking about. And my Rebbe knows all his arguments like in this back pocket. And he wouldn't even be able to understand my Rebbe's theology if it took him seriously a year, a full immersion. And I'm, I'm way more immersed. I also know how to think. And I'm 24 years with the Rebbe and still don't understand him. His name is Rav Shalom Friedman. He's Rav Mordechai Tversky, who he met in Denver. He's his brother-in-law. The Rebbe married his daughter to Rav Shalom Friedman. His wife gives shirim in the old city that are really down-to-earth, understandable classes. So women, be aware that there is a shir by Rebetzin Malki Tversky. Sorry, Friedman. <laughs> yeah, I put her back in her maiden name. Friedman with a D. And anyone born Jewish is allowed to come, males are allowed to come to the Thursday night class with me. That uh, if they'd like to come out there with me to the Rebbe. Not that you'll understand anything. And the reason why you have to be born Jewish is because he's teaching deep Kabbalistic wisdom that's forbidden to teach to uh, Gentiles. What if you're converted? And apparently women. Oh, did I say born Jewish? Yeah. Sorry. Born Jewish and com- or converted. And by the way, his, his two number one students, meaning the two types of students that are his closest students, he has very few students because no one can get near him. But uh, but the two students that hang around him are Bali Chuva and converts. You don't want to know why? Because they at least, he, he flips his whole entire life upside down every day. So the only people who ever can stick to him are people who flip their lives upside down at least once. You have to have at least once flipped your life over. And if you flipped your life over once, you can maybe hang around him for a while. <laughs> but you have to know that if you ever try to hang around him, he's like a, he's like a top spinning. You know, it's got a lot of centrifugal force, so he's always trying to throw you away. Not throw you away, but throw you off of him. You're, you have to be able to withstand being pushed away at all times. All the years. It'll never change. He'll just push you away the whole time. There was one time he forgot himself. I don't know how it happened, but he was really proud of me over something. And he (laughs) forgot himself for a moment and patted me on the shoulder. I froze. His family, like, went into fright. Like, they all were there. And I turned around. I was like, what was that? You know what he says to me? He says, it was a pitch. (laughs) means a spank. He quickly flipped it to a spank. I mean, he one time did one nice thing towards me in 24 years. And I asked him, shocked, what was that? And he was, in the split second, was able to say it was a spank. But why? Why is he so mean? I asked him that once in front of the whole class, actually. I said to him, listen, we're converts. I'm not a convert, but we're converts. We're Balichuva. Like, you're all we've got for a father, Rebbe. Like, can't we have a little love? 
I said this in the middle of class. These guys were like ready to fall out of their chairs that I did this because you can hear a pin drop the entire time. But I, whatever, I'm crazy and I was probably hungover and in a funny mood or something. And and the uh, anyway, but I, I managed to say that to the Rebbe. You know what he, you know what his reply was? He says, he looks at me with disdain, like his eyes get small, and he looks at me and says, "You don't want love for me." I'm here to get you to the next world. That ain't easy. <laughs> Speaking of the next world. <laughs> We're not sure. So, anyway. But then he said something really beautiful. You know what he said? He says, you guys got to be here for each other. Full exposure. Stop holding your cards close to your chest. Be there for each other. Take care of each other. Support each other. He said that to us. But don't ask me for that. <laughs> yeah, he's hardcore. I once found a Hasidic man who asked to come to the Rebbe. You know, the full pay is and everything. So we go to the Rebbe. And um, we go to the Rebbe. And right before he starts the class, he pulls me aside and he says, um, you see that Hasidic man over there on the, at the table? I was like, yeah. He says, can you please ask him to leave? <laughs> I'm like... I just brought this guy. Like, I drove him out, you know. And I'm like, why, Rebbe? And he says, he's not Jewish. I'm like, are we talking about the same guy? The Hasidic guy? He's like, not Jewish. Please take him out. So I go out the house. I I go up to the guy very nicely. He said, can I speak to you privately? I took him out of the house. I said, is there something you didn't tell me about your Judaism? And he, like, turned white. And he's like, he's like, well, I'm converted. And so I said, the Rebbe said, you know, come back after you convert it. Because it's a Kabbalah class. And, uh, and the guy came back like a year later. And he stuck to the Rebbe for years. Stuck to the Rebbe. Many years he, he was there. Okay. Um, I just feel like telling Rebbe stories right now. You want one more story? He speaks in the chain. He's from Denver. One more story? Yeah. Here's a really funny story. Great story. So there's a there's a Breslover Chassid in Sfat. The Breslover Chassid named Yonah Binyamin Akiva. And he was my student here at Aish years ago. So there's hope for all of you. You may become a Breslov Chassid living in Sfat. So anyway, he was my student here at Aish. And uh, at that point, he was finding himself Hasidically. And someone told him, that maybe you should come to Yom Tov's rabbi and see what you think. Now, in those days, Rabbi Friedman, the Rebbe, he would sit with, I mean, it's a little crazy how reclusive he is, but he would sit with his back to the crowd. Can you imagine going to a class? <laughs> like this. <laughs> he would sit with his back to the crowd. How did you hear him? Well, I sat across from him. I sat against the wall. There was a bookshelf behind me, and he was sitting here. And then they were like, around this table were all the people who've been with him for years. And the whole rest of the room, it looked like this, was all, was all, um, you know, just people staring at his back. Now, every single class, I would say to him, Rebbe, wouldn't it be better to have you sit, at least at, where you sit on Shabbos, the long table, he would sit on the wide part. So can you at least sit on the end where you sit on Shabbos anyway? So everyone can see you. So the Rebbe's look like, he didn't even, he just looks back at his book, you know. I asked for two years straight. 
And he finally acquiesced and went to sit there. Okay, so his back's to the crowd. And this guy, Yonah Ben-Yamin from Sfat's in the class. He heard the class all night, blew him away, flew out to visit his dying grandmother in America. And she's not into Judaism at all. So he's like on a mission to like just get her to say Shema before she dies. And not only did he just get her to say Shema, but he actually gets her like into all kinds of subjects about Judaism. He was there for three weeks. So he got her into all kinds of subjects and it was really going well. He calls the Rebbe on the third. He called me to get the Rebbe's number. I give him the Rebbe's number. He calls the Rebbe and he asks the Rebbe, you know, it's going so well with my grandmother. Maybe I'm supposed to stay a little longer and like keep it up. And the Rebbe says, maybe. And he says, well, what should I do? Because he thinks Hasidim tell you what to do. Hasidic Rebbe's, which they do. But he was like, well, what what should I do? And he says, well, you'll make a decision, won't you? And he's like, well, I was kind of hoping the Rebbe would make that decision. He's like, yeah, everyone in this generation is kind of hoping that. I'm not from this generation. God punished me and put me in this generation. Figure out the pros and the cons and make a choice. So he figured out the pros and the cons. And he stayed three more weeks. I'm sitting across from the Rebbe the night Yonah ben Yaman gets back to Israel from the grandma. And he comes straight to the Rebbe, to the Rebbe's class. You ready for this? I'm facing the Rebbe. The Rebbe's got his back to the crowd. And Yonah walks in the door. I haven't seen Yonah in six weeks. So I, I don't know where he's been. Because he didn't call me back and let me know. So Yonah walks in the door. The Rebbe swivels his chair. as a swivel chair. Swivels his chair around. Looks at the door and says, What's it feel like to make your own decisions? He had never seen this guy in his life. The Rebbe. The only time he had ever been there was, was sitting in a class with... The Rebbe, looking at the Rebbe's back. The Rebbe had never seen him before. Okay, that's enough, enough Rebbe stories. Let's, let's, go back to, um, let's go back to our class. You know what I realized? I'm not prepared yet to do God. I created a whole curriculum called God Hates Religion. And uh, I know it's like kind of interesting, but I, I don't think I've got my act together yet to really nail it. To know. So is there something someone wants me to go on right now? Because uh, we told Rebbe stories. We talked about God hating religion. Yeah. Question. Um, you were saying how they all articulate better. You said uh, you're uh, you're it's a Kabbalist succession. So you can explain what they're like from the ground that you can see what they're articulating. What they would be articulating? It's a theology of Judaism. The theology of Judaism. Oh, you know what? Let me just finish with this. Let me just finish with this. The, there's no way for me to tell you what they'd be articulating. I'm doing my best to articulate Jewish theology in these classes. That's why you're here. I mean, that's what I generally do in here. So I'm doing my best to articulate that. I, I'm sure, I'm sure my Rebbe would kill me for half the things I'm saying because I'm botching it. Like, you guys are hanging on my words most of the time, and I'm just, like, botching it the whole time. And my Rebbe would be like, couldn't believe that I, how badly I'm doing. Um, it's, it's what you'd call almost inarticulable to articulate our, our tradition. 
It's, it's, our foundations are prophecy. We're part of a prophetic tribe. And I will share you this. If you, would you potentially give, would you give 10, forget the 10 bucks a month for me. Would you give 10 bucks a month to resettle a tribe of Amazon jungle people who McDonald's cut down their rainforest and now they're all hanging around Buenos Aires in ripped jeans and tank tops. I mean, the whole tribe's hanging around, you know, the streets of Buenos Aires. And, but we know who they are because we took very good, very good um, um, inventory when McDonald's came and took away their part of the jungle. We've now gotten the government to give a, a parcel and we're going to actually help the tribe get back to the jungle. So would you help National Geographic with this undertaking to get the tribe back? Would you guys be interested in that and like trying to help the tribe get back to themselves now that they've, they're basically dying and disappearing into Westernism and not to mention all the diseases that exist outside the jungles and the cities and stuff? They're starting to vaccinate their children. <laughs> They're vaccinating the tribal children for diseases that don't exist in the jungle. You guys would be interested in that? So, 85% of the Jewish people today are in Buenos Aires. Meaning they're walking around outside the tribe. And here's the freaky thing. Normally when someone leaves a tribe, there's the tribe and they left. When you have 80% of the tribe living secular lifestyles, when 85% of the tribe is living secular lifestyles, and then of course they set up like Hebrew schools and stuff and temples and very iconic little, little Jewish religious places. So it's very, it would be very easy for you to grow up there and think you're Jewish, meaning like you're part of something. When in fact you're, you're like light years away from the tribe and the tribal tradition and the tribal lifestyle. You understand? When, you, when your tribe has adopted a way to live in exile as secularists, and here's the other freaky thing. I just had a group of about 40 kids here today at noon. So I asked anyone who had secular parents, they all raised their hand. As How many have secular grandparents? So about five of the 40 raised their hand. And then I said, how many have secular great-grandparents? Nobody, not one. So I said to them, either you're going to get back in touch with a tribe or your family line's going extinct. You're going extinct because we just proved it. We just proved it. That if you think you can pretend you're part of a tribe because you have a local temple, or you think you're going to send your kids to Hebrew school, no. You're, you're going to be swallowed up by the Western monster. Rome will get you, as, just as Rome has gotten so many other cultures. And Rome has gotten us, too. 
we're part of a tribe whose prophetic tradition is inarticulable except for as good as I can do or Rabbi Ellis or Rabbi Neckmeyer and obviously we can't touch some of the other rabbis but they're not coming in Asia tour, I'll tell you that certainly not teaching co-ed <laughs> you know, they're just not coming in here and, but oh, whatever they could articulate better than us but but you're part of this tribe and how crazy is it how crazy is it that all that 85% of the Buenos Aires Jews who have fallen out of the tribe are going to use intellectuals who poke holes in infantile, infantile theologies and use them as the basis for their secularism. That's crazy, right? That's crazy. Um, I'm, it's already 4.07, and there's a tour. Tell us about the tour. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.